Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to change makers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. I am really excited for you to be a part of today's conversation. On today's episode, my guest is Kyle Ali. Education for Social Impact Senior Program Manager at Google and a longtime advocate for equal educational and workforce opportunities. I've known Kyle for a few decades at this point, which is wild to think about. He and I were friends in high school back in DeKalb, Illinois, and as our work and careers have evolved, we've gotten to reconnect and cheer each other on from afar. It was really special to have this conversation after all these years, hearing more about his journey and evolution. In so many of the arenas in which Kyle serves, his focus is on creating ripple effects of long-term impact and lasting change. Over the course of our conversation, Kyle shares how, during his work with Teach for America, witnessing the lack of opportunities, particularly for young Black, Brown, and Native youth, shaped his focus on educational and workforce advocacy. We examine the work of moving towards building prosperity for all, with the necessary resources to fight homelessness and provide access for everyone to live sustainably. Kyle also shares how the collaborative work during his service as the global chairperson for the Black Googlers Network helped amplify visibility, heightened influence on executive leaders' decision-making, and has led to the hiring of more Black Googlers than ever before. I am so glad you're here for this. Let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. Our guest today is Kyle Ali. Before we jump in, let me share with you a little bit more about his trailblazing work. So excited he's here today. Kyle is an advocate for equal educational and workforce opportunities and has excelled as an identifier, cultivator, and developer of diverse talent. As an education for social impact senior program manager at Google, Kyle leads a team and partners with stakeholders to build a diverse pipeline of future computer science professionals through unique educational programs. In his previous roles at Google, Kyle has played a significant role shaping team cultures and strategy. He has led several large-scale initiatives, including a global effort to redefine organizational values and several projects focused on identifying and engaging diverse talent. Kyle's commitment to diversity extends well beyond his work in talent development. As global chairperson of the Black Googler Network, Kyle lived out his commitment to inclusion through collaboration with senior leaders on initiatives focused on improving the company's racial and gender climate. Kyle regularly lends his expertise to companies as a panelist or facilitator on topics ranging from allyship in action to recruiting and retaining millennials, and was featured as a facilitator at the organization's South by Southwest event series. In 2022, he accepted an adjunct professor position at Villanova University and currently teaches diversity in a global economy to graduate students pursuing their master's degree in human resource development. Kyle is an inaugural fellow of the African-American Leadership Institute and serves as an advisory board member for the University of Texas Human Dimensions of Organizations, HDO, program. He is actively engaged in several civic pursuits that support youth of color 
including his leadership as vice chair of the Board of Governors at Austin-based LifeWorks, and through contributions as a board member at Building Opportunities and Opening Minds in Dallas. Kyle was a nominee for Diving's Champions of Change Award in the Rising Star of the Year category in 2021. As you can hear, Kyle's commitment is strong and wide, and I am so excited for the conversation we're going to have today about his work, but also about how he is able to sustain all that he's committed to doing and supporting. With that, I want to bring on Kyle. Kyle, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Sarah. It's a real pleasure to be with you, and it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to share a little bit of what I've learned along the way to help other people. That's absolutely what we want to hear from you because you've done so much and you're, you continue to broaden your scope, your commitment. And really, I want we've, we've heard in the bio some things about you, but I really want to hear and listeners to hear what feels most important for people to know about who you are. I think what feels most important for people to know about me is that I'm a work in progress. I think over the last few years, I've grown a lot. And a lot of that growth has been facilitated by some successes. But it's also been facilitated by some failures. I've learned a lot about myself and have really spent a lot of time in reflection, a lot of time in therapy. And I'm really happy with who I've become. I'm really proud of who I am at this moment in my life. And excited for what the next few years hold for me. Mm, that work in progress piece. And also this idea of, of being at peace, P-E-A-C-E, with yourself and with with how you're showing up and how you're interacting and your contributions that you're being made. But knowing I am always capable of evolution, capable of growth and and looking for those opportunities on what's next. So it sounds like You've got a few of those opportunities recently. I mean, you've, you've been doing a lot every step of the way, but I know that you were recently appointed to as chair-elect of the LifeWorks Austin Board of Governors. Can you talk a little bit more about that work you're doing and, and the, that the organization is doing too? Absolutely. Um, I began working with LifeWorks shortly after I moved to Austin. Um, the organization focuses on ending youth homelessness in Central Texas and I had the opportunity to work with them on uh, some internal projects focused on employee onboarding for a short period of time. And I immediately approached the, the CEO um, after that assignment and said, this is something I want to be a part of. When I first started my career in Baltimore, I, I had students that had experienced homelessness. I've had family members that have experienced homelessness and have a pretty sound understanding of the kind of trauma that that can introduce into someone's life. And so to have the opportunity to directly address that through programming and uh, through the building of affordable housing, through workforce development, that really felt like something I wanted to be a part of. The mission absolutely spoke to me. I've spent the last couple of years uh, during my time at LifeWorks working on diversifying uh, our board of directors and I'm proud that since I took on that challenge, when I entered LifeWorks and began working on the board, we had uh, a board that was about 17% Black and Latinx. And the work that we've done over the last three years, our board is now 50% uh, 
Black and Latinx. We've actually crossed over into being a majority underrepresented board. And it's one of my proudest professional accomplishments. When we think about homelessness and who it directly impacts, it's a lot of young Black and brown people, Black students or Black young individuals uh, that are experiencing homelessness represent roughly about 40% of Austin's homeless population, whereas Black people in general only represent 8% of Austin's homeless population, that, that disparity is enormous. We need leaders on boards. We need leaders on city councils. We need leaders across the board that are uh, representative of the communities that are most impacted by the challenges that are important. And so that's really been the focus of my work over the last couple of years. Over the next couple of years, as I take on a formal leadership responsibility, it's really focusing on trying to bring more affordable housing here to Austin. Um, it is amazing the, uh, the number of people that have moved here and uh, all of the energy and enthusiasm there is around growth in Central Texas. Uh, but that's proved to be challenging for some people who have been here for a long time, working class people and people who are experiencing homelessness. And so we want to build a prosperity um, that's a prosperity for all. And part of that is making sure that there's a roof over everybody's head. Uh, and that they have access to the resources that they need to live uh, sustained and happy and fulfilled lives. And I'm really proud to meet that work. You should be so proud. I mean, the organization as a whole and the work that you're doing and how you're seeing the city change and making sure that the resources match up with that, match up with the need and continue to support you know, the city as it changes because the resources are are so important and yet we need the advocates we need the advocacy to keep saying no this is still a problem and we need to be doing something bigger and faster and so so excited to hear that these next couple of years you've you've got that vision and strategy too hey if you are enjoying the show be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles, and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay, back to the show. And you connected the dots a little bit as you were talking about that in terms of your connection to advocacy work in workforce development and also educational equity. Can you share a little bit more about that journey to connecting to th those two pillars? Well, that journey for me began in a 10th grade classroom in Baltimore, Maryland. I was fortunate to start my career as a teacher. Uh, I taught government and AP government on that city's west side. And it is the singular experience that has shaped the lens through which I see the world. Um, certainly the world of, of schooling and of work. What I experienced there was not a lack of talent. Um, what I experienced there was a lack of opportunity. So many of my students uh, didn't have the opportunity to reach their full potential, uh, didn't have the resources to support their, their well-being and their development. And I viewed it as my responsibility from the moment that I stepped out of that classroom to keep their stories in mind, uh, to keep the stories of their families and of that particular community in mind, as I went forward as someone who was blessed with those kind of opportunities growing up and who did have access to places with power and with, with privilege. 
And so uh, I've, I've worked in Nashville and I've worked in Memphis uh, trying to improve schools and trying to diversify our, our teacher workforce and think about the impact that, that teachers of color can have inside of the classroom and think about the impact that teachers from all backgrounds can have when they're properly prepared to work with young, black, and brown, and native, and low-income students. And then I took that same perspective uh, that I gained from my time in Baltimore, Memphis, and Nashville into my work in corporate settings. There's a ton of inequity that exists within corporate settings, from uh, pay inequity to uh, retention and trajectory numbers to hiring numbers. And I view it as my responsibility with the privilege that I have and the experiences that I've had to uh, directly address that. And so uh, I've done that formally through my work, thinking about how do we identify and engage more underrepresented engineers and how do we find young people, uh, college students and high school students and uh, give them all the chances and all the resources that they need to experience success. Uh, and I've done that as a employee resource group lead as well. Uh, some of the work that I did as the global chairperson of the Black Googler Network, again, is some of the most fulfilling and rewarding work that I've done, looking at Black Googlers and knowing that there's only 8% of us uh, within the company and trying to create safe spaces, uh, trying to build networks for people to connect and trying to do anything and everything we can to make sure that our voices were at the table as decisions were made. I started my career looking at the work through the lens of social justice. Um, and I think that that's always the lens that I'm going to look at any task uh, that I'm given in a professional space through. So much interweaving there and, and you're gathering, you're gathering these experiences, you're gathering these learnings along the way. And regardless of the setting, especially transitioning from education to the corporate sector, sounds like you were able to carry those through and actually put into practice how you might change those systems. You've seen the systemic issues. I have influence here. I have power here. What can I do differently or how can I use my voice for good? And I've heard you say in a previous interview that helping people feel seen and known is a significant retention strategy. I know you talk a lot about retention of diverse talent. What are some of the ways in which that, that idea of being seen and known, how have you engaged your work, say, at the Black Googlers Network and the work you're doing now to make that a priority? You know, I think that the way that you make people feel seen and known is that you approach them with purpose and intention. So I started working at Google seven years ago. And um, I was fortunate to come into the work with someone who has remained a, a great friend of mine whose career has just taken off. Um, she has done a tremendous job. And one of the things that I observed about her experience, and she identifies as a white female, was that upon her arrival, it was crystal clear that there were people who had a plan in mind for her what work she would take on, how they could create visibility for her, and what that might mean uh, for her career uh, and her success. And that effectively opened doors. And then she walked through every one of those doors and her brilliance just shined through. Unfortunately, for so many people of color and others who are underrepresented, there's no plan for them. 
there's no one that has put the kind of purpose and intention and thought into their pathways as I observed for my, my close friend. And so I've made it a point with people that I've managed directly, with people that I mentor, with people that I support indirectly through my internal advocacy work to be very clear that I have a plan for you. I've sat down, I've thought about your aspirations. I've thought about your skills and your strengths and your areas for growth. And here's what I think I can do and the ways that I can support you in experiencing success. I have found that that is one of the most powerful ways to not only support people, but to retain them. Someone has seen me and seen enough in me that they thought it was worth their time to invest their energy. When you convey that message to people, I think you're surprised with how powerful it is. And I've been very fortunate to support several promotions. I've been fortunate to support people's transition into jobs that have given them more responsibility. Uh, I've been fortunate to, to support people's growth on whatever uh, timeline or towards whatever aspiration they're working towards. And I have found that to be, you know, both rewarding for the business in terms of keeping people around, but personally, exceptionally fulfilling. You are worth it. To be able to hear that and really feel the authenticity from the person that's sharing, it can change your entire world. It can change the way you think about yourself and what you believe you're capable of. You're right. That intent and purpose leading with, I, I believe in you. I see you and I'm willing to go to bat for you and support you. Can imagine if we all had that. And so I'm so grateful that you're in this position to inspire and lead, but also that message that you just shared that we all have we all have someone in our lives that we can do that with. We have several people in our lives. We can come in and say, hey, I see you. I'm a little ahead of you. And what can I do for you to, to make sure you're, you're set up for success in the future and what it is you're trying to do? When you were with the Black Googlers Network in the, in the leadership role, what were some of the things that you did to scale that? Well, at the local level, I started as the local chairperson for our Austin chapter. And uh, over time, we, we shifted from being an affinity group where, quite frankly, there were so few of us that our meetings were just an opportunity to see each other. Our meetings were just an opportunity to say, where are you getting your hair cut? You know, uh, is, is there someone that uh, you would recommend for babysitting? Where are you going to church? Um, that, that was mostly what those meetings looked like in the early days. And then Slowly but surely, as more people came on board, we, we grew over time. And what was really important was that we gave the organization some structure. Uh, we started thinking about how we might work with the community. And so we began working with organizations, for example, uh, Code to College here in Austin, and the great work that Matt Stevenson's done. And we began thinking about how do we sit at the tables um, as decisions are being made, uh, particularly around the growth that was happening in the region. When I stepped into the global co-chair role, it was at a very specific point in time. Um, shortly after uh, my colleagues and I got started with re-envisioning how we would lead the organization, the, the murder of George Floyd happened, and that turned everything upside down. Our people were hurting. Black Googlers were hurting. 
there was an enormous amount of stress that was already on them from the disproportionate impacts of the pandemic. And then to have this happen was remarkably difficult. So often ERGs and other similar groups can be put in the position where they are supposed to function as the trauma management office. When something happens, there's an expectation that people in these unpaid volunteer roles are supposed to step to the fore and represent the, the company's position on this matter and support their constituents on this issue. And we were really fortunate to work with our executive leaders to stand up a project management office, to bring in people from across the company to work across multiple work streams from funding work streams to education work streams and to really function as advisors and consultants on the strategy, but not the executors of that strategy. It gave us time as leaders to heal. It gave us time and space to process what was happening, but it also demonstrated an enormous amount of value in our expertise, in our opinion. And the progress that, that we've made as a company since that time in financially supporting startups and universities, um, small businesses, the work that we've done in uh, creating forums and venues for Black Googlers to connect with each other, the hiring progress that we've made, hiring more Black Googlers than, than ever before, has been really important for, I think, the long-term viability of Google, because I do think that it matters, but more important for the experience of, of Black Googlers on a day-to-day -day level. And so that's how we've scaled it. Uh, we have taken all of our lived experiences. We have been bold enough and courageous enough to offer those up vulnerably for people to learn and grow through. We've been clear about our, our boundaries and what things we are willing to take on and the ways that we are willing to lead and the ways in which we expect the company to step up and to lead and to respond. And fortunately, that response has been collaborative and I think effective. And I'm really pleased with uh, all that's transpired on that front over the last few years. As you should be. I mean, to hear where it started and that space just having the space to not be covered, to not guard yourselves, to just come in and say this, hey, how's things going? Tell me, tell me some recommendations. Let's just hang out and, and have space for just us. And then moving it into this more so outcomes driven space. But I love that lens of we are the consultants. We are the, we are the advisors, but not the executors. I think that's a big discrepancy that gets placed on ERG leaders to come in and not only create the strategy, but then get everyone in the organization, especially the, at leadership level, on board and can go out and convince everyone. Whereas you should be coming to us as the ones with the lived experience to get advisement. It should not be the other way around. And there should be that buy-in from the onset. So I'm so glad and grateful to hear that you've had that leadership support. And I know that all of this has taken, it, it takes a toll on, it's, it can be exhausting over time. So I wanted to hear, and I know we've talked 
a bit about it offline, but this idea of moving from contentment into fulfillment. So contentment and moving into this idea that we can we can do all of these things, but we can have boundaries and we can have intention with the work that we're doing. So what do you see as some of the key differences between those two things? You know, I can speak to my, my own experience with this where I'm fortunate to work at a place that I truly love. Um, I love the people that I work with. It has done a lot to facilitate uh, joy in my life and my family's life. But when you're at a place where your basic needs are met and your financial needs are, are met, uh, it's, it's very easy to go through the ho-hum rhythms of daily work and to not pick your head up at any point and ask yourself, am I living into my purpose? Um, am I living into my vision? I think that starts with asking yourself, do you have a vision? Have you taken the time to be as intentional uh, about your own life as you are about your work life? You know, many of us, as we move through our work life, we know what our, you know, our OKRs, our KPIs, our goals are. We know what our benchmarks for progress are. We know what our timelines are. But when we step back and look at our lives and our personal lives with our partners or with our children, with our families, or just with other aspirations that we have, we don't approach them with the same level of intention. And I think one thing that has been a big help for me is firmly establishing my vision as the leadership anchor that guides my work. I am an advocate for equal educational and workforce opportunities. Um, that is my North Star. And every time that I look at an opportunity, uh, I have to ask myself, does it align with that vision? There are times I take on things that don't, but those are exceptions. A lot of the time uh, when I make a decision, it's directly in alignment with who it is that I aspire to, to be. And that's allowed for me to move through different industries, public schools, nonprofit, corporate America, but to still be doing the kind of work that brings me a great amount of fulfillment and a great amount of joy from beginning my career with students to working with students and families in Nashville and Memphis to coming to Google and taking on a job that uh, at first wasn't social justice oriented, but keeping my vision very much top of mind and slowly but surely moving into the employee resource group space, slowly but surely working on our program to bring in more diverse interns, slowly but surely moving from college students to then working with high school students, and now back in a place where I'm operating learning labs in New York, Oakland, and Detroit for young Black, Latinx, Native, and low-income students to help them find their way to a place that has been very special to me at Google. And so I credit a lot of that to having a vision that serves as an anchor that not only defines what I'm going to do, but perhaps more importantly, defines what I'm not going to do. I would say more importantly, for sure, because when we say yes to things that aren't aligned, it's saying no to, to making progress, to making that slow and steady, but emphasis on the steady progress towards your North Star. I think that took me certainly longer than I'd like to admit to really look at you know, we do all of this, like you said, we do it at work. We're so good. We're so aligned. We're so vision driven. And then 
we're living our right our personal lives our our overall goals personally without direction or without without knowing where we want to go so that's something that's been big for me and I know we're both parents you have two young children and just a little younger than mine but how has that shown up in how you parent and how you show up as a partner a husband how does that align my family is very important to me and I think they've become more important to me over the last several years I think that um, a lot of the way that I viewed myself as a parent when my daughter was first born was I was a provider and, you know, my job was to to do my job and to make sure that we had the resources to support our family. And I think I reflect on the last, you know, couple of years and, and think to myself that uh, there were some missed opportunities in those early years of, of her life to to bring her and ultimately bring Hank, my son, along for the journey. And I think that that's the transition that I've made. When I was growing up, my father and my mother were both going through graduate school. Both of my parents are educators. And I came along at a time, I'm the youngest in my family, where uh, my parents' careers were just beginning to take off. My, my dad went from being a teacher to being a principal, to being a high school principal, to being an assistant superintendent. And some of the greatest memories I have are just being with him as he did his job, going after school, hanging out in his office, traveling to conferences with him, going to my mother's graduation. Those are things that have stuck with me and have shaped me. And so I try to do that with my children. I try to bring them along for the journey. Google makes that somewhat easy because the offices feel like big play spaces, but there are a lot of trips and a lot of things that I try to bring my wife and my children into. And another thing that I took from my parents is, you know, my father was exceptionally busy, as was my mother, but I had track meets, I had speech and debate events, and I had football games. And as you know, our football team was trash. <laughs> You still worked hard. That's pretty much all we did. We worked hard because there wasn't a lot of winning that was happening. But but my parents never missed. You know, I never looked up in the stands. I never looked out in the audience. And no one was there. They were always there. And so I've tried to replicate that in my life and make very clear commitments to my family. So when we went through the pandemic, we were worried about my daughter schooling. And my wife and I made the decision to homeschool her for first grade. And so I knew how to teach. I stepped in and I was her first grade teacher, um, along with my wife and my mother helping out with my son. I, you know, have tried to learn more about him as he's growing and, and get involved with the different things that he's excited about. And there are some of those things that we share, like Sonic the Hedgehog. And then there are some of those things I'm learning about, like, like Pokemon. But I've made an active choice to put my family first. That wasn't always a choice that I made consistently throughout my career. That has changed. And I've made a choice to bring my family along where there's an opportunity to do so. It's really important for me, for my wife and for my children to feel like the success that I'm experiencing is their success as well. And so I, I've, I've tried to really lean into that, especially over the last couple of years. I connect with that so deeply because I think my journey was similar and it's a little different as a mother because they were always there, a big part of it. But 
what are the the opportunities I can really bring them in to those moments that they'll remember, just like you remember being brought to those experiences and getting to see this is why dad and mom are gone so much. This is what they're doing and this is the impact and this is how people interact with my parents and see them differently than just mom and dad. Like it does change your experience of those around you for better, I would say. So it's so powerful that you're doing that now and and passing that on. And also there's you in all of this too. There's you who has to show up every day, who's doing a diverse amount of things, who's fathering and partnering and and leading. And so I want to hear a little bit more about how you take care of yourself. How do you take care of your health, all aspects of your yeah. health? I cannot recall who said whatever it was that shifted my perspective on work-life balance, but uh, someone pointed out that very rarely is your life in balance. Balance suggests that the scales are, are equal and that your work life and your home life are, are, are the same. And, and, and I've never really had that. Um, I've certainly had times where my work life has absolutely been off balance. And I've also had times where my personal life has tilted the scale in the other way. I, I think that what I strive for is alignment. I want how I'm spending my time to be aligned with the vision I have for myself. I want it to be aligned with the values that, that guide how I move through the world. And I found that to be a much more helpful way of grading out whether or not um, I'm, I'm making progress in the ways that, that I want to make it. You asked the question about how have I taken care of myself? I, I would say that for the better part of my career, not particularly well. I'm, I'm a horrible procrastinator and I've had to get my arms around that. I've struggled with uh, anxiety. And in a lot of situations, especially earlier in my career, I, I was fortunate to have uh, the kind of talent and skill set that allowed for me to, to get away with a lot of things without people noticing when I made the transition to working in corporate America and working in a space that was rich with talent and that put a lot of big challenges on me, it became clear that, that I wasn't going to be able to, to get away with things for very long. And so I, I had to grow. I had to grow up a little bit. And I think one of the biggest inflection points happened uh, almost over a year ago when I was leading a team through the pandemic. And I loved every member of that team, but it was a really challenging time. We had challenges in our work lives and we had challenges in our personal lives. And I'm a highly relational leader and, and I made myself available for every single one of them. I don't regret doing that, but in the process of lending my emotional capacity to my teammates, when it came time in uh, January of 2021 to spend some emotional capacity or, or open up the reserves for myself, there was nothing left. I had a medical episode uh, that needed my attention and that caused an immense amount of stress. And I had nothing for myself. And it required me to take some time uh, to step away from work. I took a month and a half off of work and was fortunate to be supported by my team in doing that and to be loved by my team in doing that. They never created any pressure for me. And to have an outstanding manager who I will call out by name, Lissandra, 
because of how much her support meant to me in that moment. I took a month and a half off. I never thought that I would do that. Um, that is not something that I had ever contemplated before I did it. My wife encouraged me to take a solo trip and I did. I went to Santa Fe for a little bit of time and spent time with myself and reflected on myself and, and on the journey that I had traveled. I found myself a black male therapist who has been hugely helpful in giving me some strategies to, to work through my fears and my anxieties and to live into my strengths and to manage my weaknesses. And perhaps most importantly, I found the joy of cycling. Um, I started cycling in 2018, um, but I've really gotten into it lately. And maintaining my physical health along with my mental health and making sure that those two sides of me are both healthy and happy has gone a long way towards making sure that as an individual, I feel whole. And I can not only show up for other people, but I can show up for myself. And so I have a much greater or a much better sense of when I'm approaching my points where I'm breaking down. I have a much greater sense of when I break down and when I'm dysregulated, the impact that that has on people around me and, and take full ownership of that and, and don't want to bring that into the world. Um, and I know uh, that uh, it's important for me to put everything in perspective. I work an amazing job, but it is a job. And there are things that exist outside of it that should command my attention. My marriage should command my attention. My children should command my attention. My health should command my attention. And then I needed to distribute my energy a little bit differently than I had done um, all the way up until a couple of years ago. So I spoke about that growth at the beginning of our chat and Really, this is kind of a narration of, of all that's transpired over the last couple of years to, to help me get to the point where, indeed, I am really happy with who I am and, and where I am. I'm at a loss of words because I have <laughs> so many personal connections to everything that you shared, and I'm situating myself in, in my journey and, and thinking about what you said about the, the self-awareness piece and the self-regulation piece. It's never going to go away. Anxiety will never just dissipate, disappear. Uh, how we respond to emotional triggers won't go away either, but how inside, but the actions that we take and the way that we kind of come back to a recharge or just a recommitment to stay in the course of maintaining your energy, of maintaining your, your mental health practices, it's so important, and especially in social justice work, because this work asks us, if we're not careful, to give it all, to give everything away. And then we end up on the floor. And I'm so grateful to you for modeling that, because you were vocal at points of your journey about, I'm taking this time off, and you shared with the world and said, this is something that's really important to me and something that I need. And I think that, I don't know if you've heard, but I think by virtue of doing that, there are, you have likely modeled that for other people who have made, have never even considered the fact that they can take a break, that they can pause. And it may look differently for each of us, but that pause and that rest is so, so important. I couldn't agree more. I think that 
you know, for, for me, what I've learned along the way is that you need multiple sources of, of energy and multiple sources of fulfillment in your life. For me, my job was the single source of everything. It was where my money came from. It was where my self-worth came from. It was where my friends came from. It dictated where I traveled and how I spent my time. And so when things at work got challenging, everything felt challenging because I had made everything about work. And I had never tapped into these other places and spaces where there were bright spots and there were things. Um, I just couldn't see them because I wasn't attuned to them. And so I think a big step for me has just been decentering work. It's no longer the sun around which all the other planets rotate. It's now a planet. I would like to think that my family has been uh, the new sun in, in my life and that um, you know, cycling is a planet out there and my board work and uh, my work as a professor. Um, there are all these different places that I can invest a little bit of my emotional energy in that give it back in return. And I no longer have allowed for one single place or a single person or a single entity to govern the entirety of my emotions. And I think that's been a good choice for my life. Well, we are coming to the end of our conversation. I'm so thankful for all that you've shared, all that you're kind of accumulating as far as how do we do this differently? How do we how do we work against the whole hustle culture and the the endless demands on us and really stay aligned to that true north, as you said, just staying in alignment? So we have a few quick take questions that we ask at the end of every episode. So we're going to do those. And you shared a little bit about uh, your yep. parents in terms of, of modeling and, and blazing this trail for you. But overall, who has who have been some of the trailblazers in your life, in your world? My parents. That's who I come back to. Um, my parents have been incredibly influential in, in my life. Um, the path that they've traveled uh, through their own lives has been a remarkable one. They began their careers and spent the entirety of their careers as educators. Um, I had great joy of following them uh, and starting my career there. And as you grow up, you learn more about your parents and you begin to understand their flaws and that they are not perfect people. And that certainly has been the experience for me. Um, but I'm learning to love them for who they are, not who I've held them up to be. And uh, I'm embracing their flaws and uh, understanding at one point, uh, my children will learn my flaws and I'll want a certain degree of empathy and grace from them as well. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Well, yeah. Wow. What are you most excited about right now? I'm just excited about so much. I'm excited about the leadership work that I'm doing here in Austin. Being able to bring affordable housing to Austin will be a huge accomplishment. It will mean so much for so many. And to have the opportunity to play even a small leadership role in making sure that that happens is incredibly exciting. I'm thrilled to be back in the classroom. So working as an adjunct professor at Villanova University, I love teaching. It is a true passion of mine. And these students are great. Um, they're eager. And I'm teaching about a topic that uh, matters a ton to me. 
And I'm excited to travel. I guess I didn't realize how much I missed that until the pandemic hit. And I'm now at a point where, you know, we are financially stable and, and able to explore more places than we were at other points in our life. And I'm eager to get out there and to see the world and to, to meet some, some more people. So yeah, those are the things I'm looking forward to. I love it. I want to see all of the places that you go. And now I have the hard question because book lover in me, what's a book you've read that changed the way you think about other people and or the world? Ooh, I'm looking at my bookcase. I suppose there are three. Cast by Isabella Wilkerson, I would say is one of the best books that I've ever read. I've grown into my my Black identity growing up as a Black person that had a certain degree of privilege at times proved to be challenging. But I would say that in my 30s, I really began to become comfortable in my own skin. And I, I read that book right at the point where I became firm in, in my identity. And it helped me see the world in a different way. It helped me truly understand the systemic nature of racism. And I think that's been really important for my navigation of the world in which I live. Invisible Women by Criado Perez is another great book. I think that when we think about ourselves as intersectional beings, um, certainly as a Black person, uh, that's an underrepresented identity. But as a male, that is a dominant identity, especially in the places in which I move. And so I really appreciated the opportunity to understand better um, the challenges that some of my female identifying counterparts experience, not only in the workplace, but out in the world. And for that to be presented from a data-informed perspective, uh, it has really pushed me to think about how I can show up better as an ally. And then lastly, it's um, Everybody Lies by Seth uh, Stevens-Davidowitz. It focuses on data from Google searches and other internet-based data repositories and uh, kind of juxtaposes it against the reality of what we experience in the world. And uh, it's really fascinating to think about the views that we present and how we choose to present ourselves and how that lines up against what things we engage with and what things we passively consume. So those would be my three book recommendations. Oh, those are so good. I have some re more reading to do. Thank you for those. Final question. How can people support the work that you're doing? Well, people certainly can support the work that I'm doing with LifeWorks by considering making a donation or more than anything, learning about the challenges that those who are experiencing homelessness are facing in, in Austin, if you're local to Austin or wherever you are. Uh, this is certainly a nationwide problem. Uh, it's a global problem. And uh, as uh, disparities in, in income have grown wider and wider, um, it is a challenge that has become bigger and bigger. If I could ask everyone to, to bear one thing in mind, it would be this, is that uh, no one has to have a certain job. Uh, no one has to have a, a home or live in a specific neighborhood or drive a certain type of car to command your respect of their dignity and their humanity. And uh, it goes a long way for you to make a donation. It goes a long way for you to do the learning. But 
it can in certain situations go an even longer way when you see someone that is struggling to make sure that uh, you treat them with the respect that every human deserves. I think that if we can all invest in attempting to see each other a little more, hear each other a little more, know each other a little more, that'll go a long way towards uh, resolving some of the challenges that we're all facing during what feels like very divided times. So those are my asks. Thank you, Kyle, for being here today for those really wonderful calls to action and for the work you're doing. It has been such a pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you. It has been great to be here. And uh, I hope you'll have me back again sometime soon. I loved it. Heck yes. Can't wait. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Gene Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks, Dad.